All right, so we are in our series called Courage, as you have already heard. And I, and I think uh, Kaylee and Emma really uh, showed us the variety of ways that each of us may be presented and challenged when it comes to courage. Uh, all of us have lost a lot um, over the last few years, and so much of our world or our trust in institutions and so many things have changed, and there's a lot of rebuilding that needs to be done. Maybe it's a rebuild, rebuilding of our friendships, the re rebuilding of our own self-confidence, uh, maybe the rebuilding from some trauma that we've experienced or a loss. Uh, every single one of those areas requires courage for us to step forward into. For some folks, it just takes courage to get out of bed. And so uh, churches and ministries have rightly talked about how God soothes us in the face of our fears and anxieties. And God does that. He, he comforts us in the face of our anxieties. But he also calls us to not fear. And it's going to take courage also to face our, our anxieties and find that God is sufficient, not just to comfort us in our fears, but enable us to overcome them. So we're in a series call that where we're seeing the themes of courage play out in the life of Moses, we're calling it courage, and uh, we're coming to a uh, uh, what you, something a passage, or I should say, a section of Moses' life that has been mysterious. It's troubling. It's curious. Also, every sort of thing. We're, we're going to be talking about what are known as the plagues against Egypt. There are ten of these plagues, and uh, they're dramatic. They're intense. They feel over the top. And most people in like uh, wealthy, affluent, powerful parts of the world, they like to minimize these things and make them a parable of something else because there comes with accountability with those things. Uh, folks in more downtrodden parts of the world like to look at the Exodus narrative as a manual for rebellion. Uh, it's actually neither of these things. But just as troubling and concerning. And so, uh, typically around this point of the message, I'll open up the passage and I'll read it to you. But since we're covering, covering seven chapters of the Bible, is it okay if I just kind of tell the story instead of read it? All right. So, last week, if you might remember, uh, Rachel taught on Moses' experience of the burning bush. And at the burning bush, Moses was called, and Moses was called to lead the people out of slavery. And he wanted no parts of it. God talked him into it. And next thing you know, Moses, in our, in our story, is on his way back to Egypt, where he grew up. He grew up a prince of Egypt, a Hebrew, uh, sort of a um, third culture kid, going back to his family household and going back to the Pharaoh, who might have been his sort of half-brother, could have been his uncle or nephew. We don't know this, but certainly a family member. And he's going to go ask that the Pharaoh lets... Uh, 
Israel leave, the Hebrews leave Egypt and go off and worship God in the wilderness. And so Moses, like you, like, like you do, he first goes to Israelites. He says, hey, God has appeared to me. And he told me his name is Yahweh. And he says, we're going to get out of here. And they're like, okay, because it's getting really hard on them. A little background uh, is the, the family of Israel, the family of Jacob, moved to Egypt during a time of famine. And while they were there, God blessed the Egyptians. Everything went well for the Egyptians while Israel was there. And God blessed the Israelites while they were there. And they just continued to grow, 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 grow. And all of a sudden, the Pharaoh got insecure about all these Israelites living among them. And so he decides to do what you know, ancient rulers do. Let's do a little genocide action. Let's throw all the babies in the Nile. And, uh, and all of a sudden, God's like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to take you guys out now. All right, so that's a little, of the, a little bit of the background. And so when Moses goes to the Israelites and says, hey, you guys ready to leave? They're like, sure, that, that sounds good. And so uh, and Moses is like, okay, I'll take that as a yes. And he goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, uh, we, we, the Lord would like you to let the people of Israel leave on a three-day journey to just go worship him. And Pharaoh's like, yeah, but then I won't get three days work out of my slaves. Now, forget it. In fact, because of that, let's, 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 let's make it a little bit harder because you guys are clearly getting entitled. So uh, if you've heard that for, uh, the phrase, more bricks, less straw, that came from this moment. Uh, Pharaoh tells the foreman, says, hey, we want more bricks, but we're not going to give you as much straw to make the bricks out of the mud. And so all of a sudden, things get harder. And then a cycle begins. Uh, a, a cycle of... God coming against Pharaoh to address his people. It's, it's a simple cycle. It happens, it happens uh, nine times leading up to the 10th plague. That Yahweh is going to call Moses and Aaron to stand up to Pharaoh and, and speak to Pharaoh. And Moses and Aaron are going to obey. After that act of obedience, there's going to be an act of power. And then... The Egyptian magicians, they're going to duplicate the act of power at least a few times. But after that act of power, Pharaoh will harden his heart. So uh, it, started, it started with Moses going to them and saying, uh, hey, we let him go. Pharaoh says, no, more bricks, less straw. So Moses like, all right. He takes his, takes his staff, puts it in the Nile. And the Nile begins turning to blood. And everything starts dying in the Nile, right? All the fish, it just gets really weird. Uh, but sure enough, the Egyptian magicians, in their dark arts, they're able to duplicate it. And Pharaoh's like, yeah, whatever. All right. And so uh, next thing you know, God says, like, Moses says, all right, tell them that there's, there's going to be another plague. Moses and Aaron obey. Next thing you know, they're gnats. Gnats everywhere, this entire plague of gnats. The, the Egyptian magicians, they duplicate it. Pharaoh hardens his heart. Yahweh goes to Moses and says, all right, this, this time it's going to be flies. Next thing you know, flies start covering everything all the way through Egypt. The Egyptian magicians, in their dark arts, whatever things they're doing in their little spiritual world, they're able to reproduce it. 
Pharaoh hardens his heart. Then Yahweh says to Moses, all right, tell him it's going to be frogs this time. Next thing you know, frogs, frogs everywhere, absolutely everywhere, in the kitchen, in the bedroom, in the bathroom, in the everywhere, all right? And people are freaking out, and it's getting gross. Then they start dying. They start getting into pasta. I mean, it's just getting disgusting around there. The Egyptian magicians were not able to duplicate this or any of the following plagues. Pharaoh hardens his heart anyway. All right, it keeps going. Next thing you know, it's livestock. The livestock die. Pharaoh hardens his heart. Next thing you know, it's, it's boils, a, a plague of boils on the skin of everybody in Egypt, but not in Israel. Pharaoh continues to harden his heart. And Moses is going to Pharaoh like, do you see what you're doing? Do you see what you're doing? And at some point in time, you know, Pharaoh will say, hey, why don't you pray for me to make it stop? And Moses will pray, and they'll stop, and he still hardens his heart. It just keeps getting worse and worse. After, after the boils, it's, it's a hailstorm. A hailstorm comes and just, just sort of wrecks everything. An unbelievable, epic hailstorm. Pharaoh hardens his heart. After the hailstorm, the locusts come in and they just eat everything green and they just destroy everything. They just, if you can imagine, the economy is absolutely getting wrecked here. Pharaoh continues to harden his heart. Next thing you know, Moses and Aaron, his brother, goes to Pharaoh and says, look, this whole land is going to go dark. And sure enough, there's a plague of darkness for three days. This is the ninth plague. And at this point, Moses is just hot with anger, as the scriptures say, because he sees what's coming. He sees how Pharaoh continues to resist God on all of these things. Before I talk about the 10th plague, a lot of times uh, culture war Christians will take natural events and they'll say, see, this is God executing judgment against all the bad people and all the immoral people or the people who disagree with me, right? You, you just need to know that all over the world, there were all sort of tyrants treating people harshly all the time. That wasn't what this was about. This was about God keeping a promise. See, if you, uh, if you read the scriptures, you'll see that everything is booting from a promise that God made to Abraham. God, all the way back early in Genesis, God goes to Abraham and says, look, Abraham, I am going to make your name great. And just about everybody in the world knows the name Abraham. And I'm going to make you into a great nation. That's exactly what was happening in Egypt. God was turning the family of Abraham Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob into a great nation. That was happening as well. The other pro another promise is that through Abraham, God is going to bless every nation of the world, which is also happening now. But the other promise was this. He said this, look, those who curse you and your family, Abraham, I will curse. And those who bless you, I will bless. R remember how things were going really well for Egypt when they were treating Israel really well? Well, that was the promise playing itself out. And as soon as that Pharaoh gets insecure and starts turning on God's people, you know what God's going to do? God is going to turn against that ruler. 
Those who curse God's people, God will curse. And, and God has given Egypt every single opportunity just to simply let the people of Israel go and worship him as, as, as was asked. And Pharaoh continues to harden his heart, harden his heart, harden his heart. And so after the ninth plague, Moses goes, uh, according to the, according to the you know, command of God, he goes to the Israelite people and says, what do you need to do? It's going to, this is the final plague. It's going to get rough. What I want you to do is I want you to take a lamb and you're going to slay that lamb. You're going to take the blood of that lamb and you're going to put it over the doorposts and along the side of the doors of your homes because God is going to act and God is going to deliver you tonight. And it was in that evening after Moses left Pharaoh's presence hot with anger, knowing what was coming, that the Israelites, now they were the ones obeying the Lord. They did this because the angel of the Lord came that night and, and took the life of every firstborn in Egypt. Troubling. Awful. And at that point, Pharaoh says, just get out of here. And the next day, the Israelite people left and they began their freedom. Their exodus began through this awful, awful tragedy. Like I said, uh, some folks want to turn it into a metaphor. Some folks want to turn it into a, a playbook for rebellion. But... The Lord was solving and was leading the people of Israel for their freedom. And he continues to work in our lives for our freedom as well. But I want you to see in this passage that God not only works to give us freedom and a spiritual freedom, but he works in particular ways to teach us to live with that freedom. I want to briefly sh share three things that happen in this passage that describe how we how God works to not just give us our freedom but teach us to live with it the first thing that he's doing in the middle of these plagues is he is humiliating the gods of Egypt scholars see a clear pattern here the the plagues are meant to humiliate the egyptian gods first it's the gods of the land then it's the God, I'm sorry, first it's the gods of the sea, then it's the gods of the land, then it's the gods of the air, but he is there to humiliate them. This is what the Lord called Moses to do. He says, you are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. He says, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. With these mighty acts, the Egyptians will know that the Lord is the real God. The Egyptians will know that Yahweh is the true God of creation, that all these gods were impotent against his advance, events against his calling. 
and the Israelites will know that the Egyptian gods were nothing. If you if just think about it, the, the Israelites knew nothing really about Elohim, about God. They knew that they were the, the people of Israel, and there was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who had appeared to their ancestors. But it had been two, three hundred years living in this world of all these other gods. It was going to have to take something very, very clear to train them to believe and understand that there really is only one God. And every, it's, it's important to know, though, having other gods isn't just a problem there. Every culture creates its own pantheon of gods. Tim Keller has wrote an extent, written extensively about this. He says, every culture is essentially idolatrous. We, we create our own idols. It makes an absolute, a, a pseudo-god or a pseudo-savior out of some good but fallen created thing, whether it is individual freedom, submission to family, a socialist belief in the power of the state, a capitalist belief in the power of the market, or a populist belief in the superiority of one's nation, blood, or race, or whatever. If you, if you remember what happened, even the Egyptians in their own spiritual cult were able to counterfeit the very acts that God was doing with his power. Our culture all the time is counterfeiting the works of God, whether you're looking for love, joy, or peace, right? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. The, the, our world continues to offer counterfeit ways to get there. Now, when it comes to love, generally speaking, you have two versions of friendship or two versions of relationship. Either you have a social media contact or you have a romantic partner. The world doesn't offer much to help you learn to live in between there, even though the scriptures do most of that. Our world sometimes makes an idol out of love, maybe an idol out of family or freedom, the epic romance. But what's important to know is that God is not going to share your worship. And he is going to fight against anything else that you worship. In the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul talked about there are spiritual realities beyond what we see in that God is at work. Paul says that God's intentions in his purposes and his overall plan was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There are spiritual, God has spiritual purposes around the ways he's working in your life. He wants you to worship him and him alone. And these gods, these other gods, whether it's Wall Street or that one person's favor and attention, they are tyrants. Which leads us to the second thing that God is doing in our lives to help us to learn to live with freedom. He wants to break us of our eager willingness to submit to slavery. 
to these false tyrants. Now, I left out a little bit of a portion of the story. Remember when Moses went to the Israelites and uh, said, hey, God's going to lead us out. And they're like, okay, sounds great. And then, um, and then Moses goes to Pharaoh. Moses is like, whatever, more bricks, less straw. Well, what ended up happening is that the Israelites were really upset about more bricks and less straw. And they're like, stop this whole freedom thing. Stop it, Moses. Just stop, stop, stop. We don't want this. We would rather live in slavery when things are easy than you make things uncomfortable on the way to freedom. Now, what the scriptures say is that the people of Israel, the Israelites were crying out under the yoke of their oppression, and that God heard their cries and began acting. But as soon as God starts acting and it it creates a little bit of discomfort for them, they're like, nope, we're out. Just Can you just leave us in slavery? Can you just leave us under our oppression? Because we'd rather be comfortable under oppression than go through the little discomfort of having our prayer answered. You see where I'm going. Could that be true in any one of our lives that we've been asking God for something in particular and yet when just a little bit of discomfort emerges, we're the first ones to sabotage that. Why? Because it's upsetting something we might falsely worship. We want a real relationship, but when God begins to change around the relationships we have, we solve to make those people happy, whatever it takes. Because we're uncomfortable. We're uncomfortable with the change. We're asking for a better career path, but we continue to uh, bury our boundaries for our own employer to make that employer happy, right? We're uncomfortable with the discomfort that God might bring into our lives to answer our prayers, so we continue to sabotage them in order to please the things we actually worship rather than go through the difficult to difficult thing that God is calling us to. The fundamental assumption of this series and maybe this message is that God is more committed to our good than we are. And yes, there's other gods that are opposing it, but for most of our Experience it may very well that that we are the ones that are in opposition to the work of God in our lives. We are the ones that need to get out of our own way. We underestimate our own complicity with our disappointments, solving to keep things the same while we continue to cry out for the change that we continue to fight God for. We do this when we, when we pray for peace, but we continue to appease people. We, we do this by asking for love, but we continue to give it away for free. We look for love, and we're always dating, but we never build friendships, right? We think our life is always Paris, never Philadelphia, right? <laughs> Paris is romantic love. Philadelphia is brotherly love. 
We continue to look for freedom through icons. If I just had more of my 401k, then I'd be happy. Or, or our social media becomes tyrants. I want freedom to, to look like I'm doing all these amazing things. God wants you to live free. What this means is that we might need to live and sit, maybe even like Haley has been doing, with our own anxiousness. What is it that's making you anxious? Maybe it's something you need to attend to and not escape from. Maybe it's, maybe it's something that God wants you to face rather than flee. Maybe your anxiousness is that you know that that God that you've been worshiping is going to be disappointed if you actually trust God. God's not looking for us to break out and become free ourselves and become our own gods. He's looking for us to trust him to lead us into freedom. Which gives us the third thing. He wants us to learn to be confident in the freedom that he gives. Remember the cycle? Aaron and Moses obeyed. Act of power, counterfeit, and then a hardening. One of the things that continued to happen for Aaron and Moses and eventually the Israelites is they grew confident as they trusted, as they obeyed. They grew confident that God could protect them. They grew confident that God could step up for them. And, and, and Pharaoh grew harder and harder and harder and harder. The history, the history of Israel is in some ways described by leaders who learned to trust and grew confident in the Lord and leaders who resisted the Lord and, and made them and hardened their heart more and more and more and more. Let me just ask you a question. Is your heart getting softer as you're learning to trust? Or is it getting harder? Cynicism, coming up with other explanations, looking to something else to be the thing that makes you okay. The message isn't soften your heart. The message is think about your worship. Look at Jesus. In some ways, he fulfills the cycle, even though it reverses upon him. He trusts the Lord and he has confidence in the Lord and yet the plagues come down on him. He goes through the hours of darkness. He is the firstborn that is truly struck down. He fulfills, he becomes the true Passover lamb that covers all of us so that we might live with confidence, that we might have our exodus, that we might be the ones that live in freedom. Paul, describing the work of Jesus' death, says this. When you were dead in your sins in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, the spiritual gods that we might worship 
He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross was Jesus' Passover. His resurrection is our exodus that leads us into freedom. He, in, at the cross, he makes a spectacle of all other gods and gives us the, the opportunity to see that and allow it to melt the hardness of our hearts, to learn to trust as he learned to trust, to believe in a God that would love us so much that he would die for us, to believe in a God that cares for us, that serves us, that gives himself away for us versus the, versus the gods of this world that take, 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 take. The tyrants of this world that take and deplete, that take and deplete, that take and deceive and deplete, that harden you, that steal from you. Rather, the Lord of love who gives himself away. Summary of an application here. Just know that you live in a spiritual world. Everyone around you is worshiping. There are gods that are continuing to offer themselves to us. And yes, they're tyrants. They demand obedience. And what we worship is at the heart of our struggle. And the solution to it is our worship. The way we look to Jesus. To address your anxiousness is to address your worship fundamentally. And that you and I, we can learn and grow confident in God. As a basketball coach, I have coached kids through that transition from their little kid shots that are like shot puts where they throw their entire body to get the ball that hoop into a grown-up shot that's straight up with the arm, elbow in, nice and clean. Along the way, I regularly have to go to a kid and say, you're strong enough now. You don't need a little kid shot anymore. You don't need to keep compensating. You can be confident that your body can do what the basketball shot requires. We can grow confident in God. We don't need to be afraid of other gods. We can look at our anxiousness in the face recognize that it's rooted in false worship and see Jesus as the one who could comfort us in our fears and strengthen us with courage to face them. And we can grow more and more confident and more and more free. The Passover meal was given to the Israelites to celebrate every single year to remind themselves as to how God showed up for them. Jesus brought his disciples together on the Passover night to say, look, this Passover is pointing to the ultimate Passover that's going to happen in my death and resurrection. And what I want you to do is I want, you to give, I want to give you a meal that you celebrate as much as you can to remind you of the true Passover and the true exodus that's happening in my resurrection. So we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Uh, what I want to invite you to do, the band's going to start playing. I'm going to invite you to stand. You can go over to the tables and grab the communion elements there. Take them back to uh, your seat. And before we finish in our last song, we'll take those elements together in worship and in trust of the one 
who has set us free. You can go ahead right now.